Welcome to the Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics with Reese Tiefertiller. Hello, welcome to another Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics with Reese Tiefertiller, and we are very excited to have Marcus Mosher with us today. Marcus, how goes it? It's going, guys. It's been a fun season already, hasn't it? You know, I always think this. The first month, I'm just like so excited because it we go six months without football, right? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, us having a longer season, I'm never against that. Uh, so how long is it going to take you guys to just be out on like Thursday night football? Because I think this Thursday, Panthers-Texans, it might be the first game where I'm like, you know what? I probably don't need to have like a three-hour watch party for that game. It's probably not the most important thing in the world to to see every second of that one. I will watch it all just because I want to watch uh, Davis Mills circle the drain a few times. Oh man, him he him against the Panthers defense. I put out on Twitter that if you're in a league that plays defenses, I think the Panthers defense is one of the top ones this week. I mean, they played well last week against the Saints, so it's probably not a bad call. Yeah. But Evis Mills even performed decent against the uh, Browns defense last week. Yeah. So wait, you got you have confidence in Davis Mills this week? Is that what you're oh, saying? No, I have no confidence. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying he did not he did not do as bad as expected. But Tyrod was awesome. Oh, Tyrod, Ty, uh, call me surprised, call me anything, but Tyrod right. has been awesome. And that's the most frustrating thing about that game is Tyrod looks so good. And they, I mean, I think the Texans had a legitimate chance to beat the Browns in that game with the way Tyrod was playing. And I think if you're a fantasy owner, you got to be so disappointed because I think we were, we were going to have Tyrod, I think at the very least be like a low end QB one, high end QB two. And for him basically just to be gone for the next month is, is, is very disappointing. All right. I have a, I have a question for both of you all, and this is loaded as all get out. If Tyrod's playing the next month, do you want him or Kirk Cousins or Tannehill the next month if Tyrod's playing? Tyrod, all day long. It's just a rushing upside, right? Like, you're going to get 40 rushing yards a game. They're probably going to be throwing a lot in these games as well. I just would rather have Tyrod. How about you, Reese? I'm going to go with Tannehill just because he also uh, has the rushing upside. But Tannehill's rushing upside comes from his rushing touchdowns. He gets like four or five a year at least, while Tyrod doesn't get as many. And while Tyrod does get as many yards, Tyrod doesn't have anybody to throw to outside of Brandon Cooks, while Tannehill has uh, A.J. Brown and Julio Jones to throw. Uh, Chuck the ball too. Yeah, but Tyrod was like 11 of 12 before he left. And Tannehill, I saw this. This shocked me. I saw this on Twitter today. Tannehill was exactly quarterback 24 the last two weeks. Jeez, jeez, that's not great. No. Um, uh, I got a question for you guys, actually, about the Titans. I'm going to already turn this show back around <laughs> back to you guys. So it's less work for me, right? I'm going to ask you guys a question. Derrick Henry, over the summer, we were drafting him, what, seventh, eighth yep. in our redraft leagues, right? And we already got the 200-yard, three-touchdown game from Henry, which we typically don't get until, what, November or December? Kind of the after you see two games so far, where would you be drafting Derrick Henry, just based on what you've seen? I got him in one league at, at the four-hole, and people were thinking I was crazy. 
and I'd still take him there because McCaffrey's easily number one. Cook's probably number two, especially the way he looked uh, yesterday. But Kamara hasn't done anything. Barkley hasn't done anything. Elliot. Elliot. Chubb. Zeke. Chubb. Chubb has done stuff. But I'd st- I- I'm going to go out on a limb. I'll take Henry number one. Henry's caught. Henry has the, the targets he hasn't had so far. Yeah. Like, I think he already has 10 targets, and his yeah. previous high was 31. If If Henry gets three or four catches a game, I want I want him tops, and I'm not even going to debate anything else. I know there's injury risk. What's crazy about Henry is he almost seems offensive line proof, right? Like no Taylor Lewan who gets hurt in warmups going up against the Seattle defense that played really well, like in their last eight games, and yet he has 200 something yards, 230 yards, and three touchdowns. And that offensive line is not great, and yet he's still able to make plays. It's just awfully incredible. I don't think we've seen anybody like him in a long time. Oh my, before we kick it, Teresa, I have one fancy sleeper to throw out for everybody. And that's it. Berkser continues to miss. I like Michael Pruitt. And mm. he's bounced around real athletic, had a couple grabs in that game. Uh, you know, Jeff Swain's really not the guy. It's no. uh, He's more of a blocking guy. Pruitt in these deep leagues. I mean, if Max Williams can throw up a big fancy number, there's a lot of hope for a lot of other guys. Yeah. I know Pruitt's available in like 99% of ESPN and Yahoo leagues. It's a good call by you, Jeff. I like it. Well, we all know Tannehill's um, – Tannehill loves to throw the ball to tight ends in the red zone. Look, Just look at what John who did in the first mm-hmm. like four or five games of last year. Yep. So do we think A.J. Brown is eventually going to bounce back because he's had two eh, games so far? Do you think – I know, I, I mean, a lot of people who took A.J. Brown earlier in the summer as, like, wide receiver two or wide receiver three before they traded for Julio, they're probably a little worried. Are you guys nervous? I'm not. I traded a ton either. for him in a super flex dynasty league. I mean, a ton. But just because I'm always betting on talent. But I'll tell you what I think is even more crazy, just to me. I think Adams is the number one receiver in dynasty or fantasy. I mean, I like your Cowboys guys, too. You could argue which one. No, no, that's fine. That's fine. They kind of conflict each other, right? If one of them was gone, the other one would shoot way up. Sure. But I think the argument is, like, who's number two? Because it could be Tyreek. It could be a a number of guys. Yeah, so let's let's go through the names really quick. It's Devontae Adams, one. It's Tyreek. And then it's Justin Jefferson, CeeDee Lamb. I got another guy that I have to throw in there. And this is somebody who – we just talked about this on Lockdown Dynasty – his, you know, his average uh, draft position in startup dynasty leagues is wide receiver twenty three, and I don't get it. It's Cooper Cup. Right. Cooper Cup has been phenomenal the first two weeks of the season. He was great last year. Like we we ranked him all summer. Like Jared Goff was going to be his quarterback, and we just that's not true. Matt Stafford is so much better. Yeah. Why can't Cooper Cup be a hundred and ten receptions for fourteen hundred yards and double digit touchdowns this year? I, why are, why aren't we ranking him inside the top seven or eight dynasty receivers? Are you asking? Do you want me to answer that? Yeah, I do actually. It's because he came into the league old. It's the same way that people He's aren't giving Ridley yep. Ridley credit because he came into the league old, and they're they they discount that these receivers, even coming in the league old, they still have a can have a fifteen year career versus a doesn't his game year career. But doesn't his game seem like it's going to age really well anyways? Because he's not somebody who wins with speed and athleticism, right? 
Right. Both of them. I mean, he and Ridley. I just meant you asked the question. I was just saying, yeah, yeah you're right. We have this yep. age bias that we can't get out from behind. You know what I'm saying? And uh, that if you're going down that route, I mean, I think there are a lot of guys. I mean, Metcalf, but people wrote off mm-hmm. uh, Pittman after one game and he bounced back. Yeah. People are writing off Higgins or look at Chase in the preseason. I mean, we are like yeah. the biggest knee jerk society in the dynasty world like you know uh, what's why you can find a lot of value that's the great thing about dynasty if you play with some guys that are a little bit more you know they they overreact and stuff yeah you can get guys like a t higgins right now super cheap uh and and i think that's a value and i'm going to jump ahead of one of reese's here and then i'm going to turn it over to him but i'm buying zeke all day in dynasty Mm -hmm. leagues he and jacobs both will will get out from under this i mean you're always going to bet on talent unless you think Zeke has definitely lost a step and you may, and I'll let you answer it, but he and Jacobs, I mean, you're still going to bet on talent. They're both, you know, coming out of something into something else. I think I would be more willing to bet on Josh Jacobs than I would Ezekiel Elliott because I think Jacobs's problems have been a little bit more about durability. Yeah. And Zeke is the problem now is durability is not an issue. But I think it's pretty clear he's lost a step. And then on top of that, there's just a guy in the backfield that's better than him. And I think the the new Cowboys co- coaching staff is not tied to Zeke like Jason Garrett was, right? Like those guys didn't stand on the table to draft Ezekiel Elliott at right. number four. They didn't pound on the table uh, to get him signed to a deal. I think Kellen Moore is just going to play the better guy. And he's going to ride with the guy that's, that's you know has the hot hand. I, I think I would be more lenient when it comes to Josh Jacobs than I am to Ezekiel Elliott. I bet you Zeke is half the price. I bet you Zeke is worth like Miles Gaskin territory. I mean, I saw some new ADP today where he was still like running back 10, running back 11. Yeah, and I think Josh Jacobs is like in the 20s. I, yeah. I, I agree with you. I think we're going to see in the next month that's going to drop by at least five or six spots. Yeah, and then I'm a buyer. All I'm saying is when he hits bottom, I'm in. You're in. You're in. Reese. So your question is when is where is that bottom? John <laughs> <Is it laughs> Gurley cliff. Is that what you're asking? Oh yeah. <laughs> well, here's the thing. If you if you are somebody who is interested in buying Ezekiel Elliott, it's important to note that the Cowboys absolutely cannot get out of his contract until after the 2023 season. So he is a lock to be there all this year, all next year, and the year after that. So even if he's not being a featured guy, he's going to be part of the game plan. So it's just there's no way that he completely falls off the cliff where they cut him like the Rams did with Todd Gurley. That's just not happening. And he's a great blocker. I mean, that's the part. Yes. We're all dogging him. But that the two guys that catch the most grief in Dynasty Leagues, he and Leonard Fournette, both saved their teams a lot in this early season by being able to block. And – we in the fantasy community don't know how to count those in our fantasy scores, but the NFL coaches know that they want him on the field at that time. And then the case of Fournette, he knows how to hold on to the football, which is something Ronald Jones can't do. So, well, jo- yeah, Jones fumbled one week and missed a block the second. Yeah, Tom Brady's, not great. You're, you're out. Yep. <laughs> I'll take Fournette. Well, one also, <laughs> Fournette's also played in much bigger stages than Rojo has before the playoffs. Sure. Yeah, sure. So what have been some of the surprises the past the past two weeks in NFL? Players, situations, coaches, anything. 
I mean, listen, we, we're, we're going to talk about the Raiders, so we might as well go ahead and do it right now, right? Yeah. Like, the Raiders are 2-0. Derek Carr leads the NFL in passing yards by like 75. 128. 128. 28. 128. 128. <laughs> That's just incredible. I just want to say, after two weeks, leading the league by 128. Um, I think what's the most surprising, though, is how he's done it. The offensive line, we knew going into the year, was going to be a problem. And since basically since the starting training camp, they've lost Richie Incognito. They've lost Denzel Good. They lost their backup. They lost uh, a right tackle who retired. Then Alex Leatherwood gets hurt in week two. Like that offensive line is completely decimated, and he just carved up the Baltimore Ravens and the Pittsburgh Steelers. Like that is extremely impressive. And I just think we've seen this really strong progression from Derek Carr over the last four years under John Gruden. Every year he's gotten better. He's been throwing the ball more efficiently, further down the field. I don't know if that's going to translate into big fantasy production, but as a guy that could throw for 4,700 yards and 30-something touchdowns, I think Carr's been really good to start the year. But you also forgot to mention, I don't know, Rodney Hudson. He left mm. their starting center for the past, like, 10 years. All pro left to go block for Kyler Murray and the center is the play caller for the offense line. So that that was a huge question mark surrounding them. And then they also um, lost Gabe Jackson and Trent Brown, the, yeah, the yeah. right guard and the right tackle. So that was a lot of turnover on the offensive line and hasn't seemed to bother him at all yet. So is it, I'm going to ask both of you all this. Is it more a surprise that he's putting up these points or these stats or who he did it against? Reese, you answer that one first. I want to hear your thoughts. Who he did it against? The Ravens. Yeah. Sure, they lost Marcus Peters, but they still have Marlon Humphrey. They still have that great secondary, that great linebacking core. And he carved them up for 400-something yards on Monday night football. Then he turns around on a short week and goes and carves up the Steelers' defense, which was supposed to be top two in the league. Yeah, I mean, I think the Steeler performance was so spectacular. Like, he had those guys on their heels the entire game. Like, Minka Fitzpatrick had no idea what to do with him. On plays where Minka would come down and double Darren Waller, he would throw it over the top to Henry Ruggs, or he would find Hunter Renfro streaking down the seam. Like, the Steelers had absolutely no answers for him at all, and they couldn't get pressure on him. And that's what the most surprising thing is, is uh, they just, Tom Cable, one of the best offensive line coaches in the league, has got these guys playing well. I, I just, I'm in shock by how well Derek Carr is playing right now. The, I'm going to, can I interject some color commentary? Sure. The ability, so in week one against the Ravens, we saw them just pepper Darren Waller at the expense of everybody else. All right. Week two, Pittsburgh's waiting on him. Okay, we're going to take Waller out. And I have to give the, the Raiders coaching staff credit for scheming up ways to get rugs the ball more on short, intermediate, crossing, out to the wide, they they drew up plans just to get Ruggs the ball. So, I mean, I is I give them kudos for that. Yeah, and it actually could have been an even bigger day for Henry Ruggs. There was a 40-yard touchdown he should have had early in the game, uh, but Alex Leatherwood just completely missed the block and Carr ended up taking a sack. If he would have had that, we would have been that would have been the only thing we're talking about this week is Henry Ruggs catching two touchdowns and going over 100 yards. But it's just. Listen, we make fun of John Gruden all the time for his personnel decisions, and rightfully so. He's a terrible general manager, but he's still a really good coach. He knows how to call game plans or you know, and call plays. 
Uh, that was just a masterful, masterful performance by him. But we also mentioned the pressure. TJ Watt was out for half that game too. So you don't know how much of that was real versus fake, but he was not getting pressured at all in the first half, even with Watt in. No, and that's the thing is they were still moving the ball up and down the field with TJ Watt in the game. So if they can do that against Pittsburgh, uh, and we'll see against Miami. Miami is a really good defense this week. If they can continue that offense success in week three, I don't know who's going to be able to stop them this year. What are the chance loaded questions for both of you? I have a Raiders fan and Broncos fan on this. What's the percentage that the Chiefs win the division now? I mean, the Chargers are good. The Raiders are decent. The Broncos are decent. A hundred percent. I'll take it with 95, but yeah. There you go. Just, a, just in case Patrick Mahomes gets hurt. That's the safe bet. I just, the Chiefs are so much better than these teams. That's not to take away from the Raiders or the Broncos. It's just, the Chiefs are not going to lose many games. I think that was kind of a fluke that we saw on Sunday night. They're still going to win 12, 13 games. They'll be fine. But even if you remember a few weeks, uh, two years ago, Matt Moore on Sunday Night Football beat the Packers playing for the Chiefs because Patrick Mahomes was hurt. Even they can still win games if Mahomes is out. Versus Herbert goes down, Chargers are toast. They'll be fine. That, I'm not worried about the Chiefs at all. They're, they're <laughs> going to be just fine. Bigger question is: out of the of remaining three AFC West teams, which one do you think nabs the playoff spot? Or it could be multiple. So my gut is to say the Chargers because I just think they have the best quarterback of the three. And that's even talking about how good Derek Carr is. Um, I'll just say one of my biggest takeaways after watching that Cowboy Charger game, I just got done watching the film, is Justin Herbert is a superstar. I mean, he is absolutely incredible. He is going to dominate this league for a long time because he is just so spectacular. I just have some questions about the coaching staff and the defense, but it's probably the Broncos just because I think they're the most well-rounded team, even though Bridgewater is probably the worst quarterback of the four, but even Bridgewater is playing really well this season. So it's, it's hard to, it's hard, hard to pick too many holes in that Denver team. Well, it's pretty easy to play well against the Jaguars and Giants. <laughs> that, it's such a wet blanket right there. Okay. You're right though. <laughs> not I'm dogging on my own boys, but I would say that the Raiders probably have a decent chance of getting in there just for, if Derek Carr keeps up this way. And the Raiders' defense, we haven't even talked about it, stifled uh, Lamar Jackson when he counted mm-hmm. and stuffed the Steelers' defense, the uh, Steelers' offense that went rampage, not rampage, but rampage against the Bills for the Bills' standings. It's probably just going to come down to who wins those Raiders Broncos matchups. I mean, there's probably going to need nine to 10 wins to make the AFC playoffs. Uh, however, those teams decide to, you know, win those games. I think it's probably going to tell us a lot, but man, all four of those teams have played really well to start the season. That's just an impressive division. Yeah. The one thing I would throw out that uh, we it came up on a previous podcast, Reese is, and, and I want to get your take on this, Marcus. It's a lot easier for a team like, Dallas or any NFC team to make the playoffs versus an AFC team. The AFC is deep. You look yeah. at the four in the West, you look at all right, the South, the AFC South, it doesn't really yeah. matter. Three in the, the North. The North has three good teams. The East has two, three good teams. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, the NFC looks it's like top heavy. The NFC East is or excuse me, the NFC is very top heavy. Like I think 
I think you can make a case like the Bucks and the Rams are the two best teams in football. And then I think Seattle's in there. I even think the 49ers are in there. But after that, it, there's a big drop-off. In the AFC, man, you've got 10 teams that are worthy of making the playoffs, if not more. Uh, it's going to be really difficult for some of these teams to get to 9 to 10 wins and make the playoffs. Yeah, well, not unless you're the Titans and you have that schedule, right? I mean, the Titans and having Wentz get hurt even makes it easier for them. Yeah, the Titans should win that division going away, I would think. Uh, the Colts' schedule is brutal the first five weeks of the season. If Wentz is going to miss a couple weeks, getting off to, a, let's say, a 1-4, and 0-5 start, I just don't see it happening for them this year. Poor Eagle fans. You guys were so excited that you are going to get a first-round pick and not going to happen. Well, especially if Wentz misses, because there's a clause in there. Yes, play sixty percent of the snaps. Seventy percent, seventy percent of the snaps. Oh, it's sixty with the playoff win, seventy without, or something like that, isn't it? It's. Maybe. I think it's seventy, seventy with a playoff, and seventy-five without. All right, but seventy. There's no way. There's no I mean, way. There's no way. <laughs> and we're only we're two weeks in, and we're saying no way he's going to make that uh, play that many snaps. But anyway. But we're talking about the Titans, even with that week's schedule, you don't know how far they'll advance into the playoffs if they just got in off basically a technicality on the <laughs> division. Yeah. But I, I, the thing is, the Titans are, they can be one of those teams that's really scary in the playoffs. We saw this literally play out in 2019, right? Like they were a wild card team and they beat, was it the Patriots in round one in Foxborough? Then they go to Baltimore and beat the Ravens. Like they've got this formula where if Henry's running well, really well and Tannehill is good enough in the play action game to make big plays, they're a really scary team for some top contenders in the AFC. But I agree with you. I don't think they're, there shouldn't be a top four or top five team in the AFC, but I wouldn't rule them out making a little bit of a run in the playoffs either. It's hard to count out Kane Henry. Yeah, it's exactly what it is, right? Especially in January. That's it's a tough player to count out. So, can Derek Carr keep up this pace, though, of him putting up 400-plus yards a game? So, basically, are you asking me if he's going to, you know, total like 6,500 yards this year? And He and Dak, right? He's going up, right? I mean, I think there's a chance that he just sets career highs across the board. I, I just keep coming back to this. Every year, he's played under John Gruden. He's gotten better. He's completely comfortable in this offense. And Gruden has designed an offense that makes a lot of sense for him, right? Like the knock on car coming out of college and early on in his careers, oh, he's a dink and dunk quarter, quarterback. So what did they do? They got him the best dink and dunk weapons in football in Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro, who I think is one of the best slot receivers. Yeah. So it does feel like this is a very repeatable thing that the Raiders can do on offense. And I don't know how teams stop it, especially – if they start running the ball better with Josh Jacobs when he gets healthy. The one team that I could see stopping them just because of the players that they've drafted is my Broncos. Just because if you at certain is the tight end stopper mm-hmm. that everybody says he is, the Raiders are toast. Not, I guess, toast. not toast, but <laughs> it's hard. It'd be very hard for that offense to roll against the Broncos cornerbacks and that uh, front seven, even with Jewel out for the year. I will say Derek Carr has had a lot of success though against the Broncos over the last couple of years. Like he's got that defense figured out where if Vic Fangio wants to send pressure, 
bring it on. Like he loves getting blitzed because he can dump it off to the running backs. He can take a shot downfield to Henry Ruggs one-on-one. But I do think you're right. That's the one team that has the personnel to maybe match up with their weapons. Should be some fun battles between the Raiders and Broncos coming up this year. Oh, yeah. The question I had for you, the one surprise I had for the Raiders this last week was how bad Kenyon Drake looked. Mm. He looked like he was running in mud, didn't he? I don't know if you agree. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when Peyton Barber looks better, I I take notice, right? And it was know. it was evident right away that Drake just looks washed. I mean, he lo- honestly looks like he was running in mud in that entire game. And Peyton Barber comes in and listen, I don't think anybody thinks Peyton Barber is like a twitched up running back or anything, but it was noticeable. Like Barber hit the hole harder. He got down and made plays after contact. Drake is not an inside runner at all. So if you got a guy that doesn't want to run inside and kind of lacks the speed and the twitchiness that you need to make plays on the outside, what do we have here? And it makes me wonder, like, when Jalen Richard comes back from his foot injury, are they just going to roll with Richard again as the third down back and Josh Jacobs as the between-the-tackle guy? Because I have not been impressed at all from what I've seen from Kendon Drake. Yeah. No. You're going to say something? No, go ahead. Uh, well, they also, correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't they uh, give Drake a two-year, $8 million contract this past right. month? It was two years with $11 million guaranteed. So they invested a lot of money in Kenyon Drake. I believe it's like top 15 running back money, which isn't insignificant when you're already, you know, you already drafted Josh Jacobs. I, I've got a feeling the Raiders are feeling a little bit of buyer's remorse there because it kind of looks like he's washed. And you were, I think, right to point out that how good of job Gruden's done, considering how many picks they've missed on. You know, they, I don't want to drag drag anybody, but, you know, they had Khalil Mack, and they would undo that trade in a heartbeat. They had Amari Cooper. They would undo that trade in a heartbeat. I mean, but considering, and you know Derek Carr would love to have Cooper to throw to, but... I don't know. I, I have to give Gruden credit. I mean, I'm, instead of going the negative side on how they missed on picks, their lack of talent for what Gruden's gotten out of them is pretty apparent. Yeah, I mean, they were 6-3 and three last year, and they were, you know, one play away from beating the Chiefs twice. Like, this, Gruden gets these guys to play at a ridiculously high level, despite, I, I think, being at a talent disadvantage almost every single week. So... Man, the drafts could have been better, and you could just play the what-if game all the time. But uh, it's, it's, good, it's a good little team that Gruden has playing here. I, I think they're playing above their heads. We'll see how long they can do it. They do that most years, though. Because you they mentioned do. that they were 6-3 and three last year. And they've been, that, been playing that way for the past two or three years, and then it just kind of falls apart. But with the defense, that's always been the weakness. Mm-hmm. They might be able to not collapse. Yeah, I mean, I think the upgrade from Paul Gunther to Gus Bradley is certainly a good one. My problem with their defense is the same problem they've had the last few years. They just don't have a lot of depth. And we know in the NFL, you're not going to keep all 11 starters or you know 13 of your top 15 defenders healthy all year long. So when we get into November and December and you're down six starters in a game against Denver, can you stop anybody? It's been my question the whole time. We come back to this. Now, the personnel decisions by Gruden, man, they had a game in week one. They had five first-round picks from 2019 to 2020. 
only one of those guys was playing in Henry Ruggs. That's pretty awful for all those draft picks that you spent. Uh, it, it's it's a bit concerning. I'm I'm still a little bit worried about some of their late season you know problems. Do you think uh, GM other than Mike Mayock would be doing a lot better of a jo- job uh, drafting them? I mean, I think you could literally go buy a magazine at your local Walmart and pick a player, and you probably would do better than Mike Mayock and John Gruden. And I'm not, I'm not exaggerating at all. Like, no. so, some of the picks that they made, or the players that were there, were so obvious, right? Like, 2019, they needed a linebacker so bad, and Devin White is staring at them in the face at number four, and yet they take Cleveland Farrell, who is a healthy scratch in Week One of 2021. They needed a receiver so badly, and CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy both followed them to number 12. And yet they picked Henry Ruggs, who most people had as the third or fourth receiver of the draft. Like, they just made these dumb mistakes over and over again, and it's really starting to, to cost them when it comes to their depth. And there's just overall talent on the team. But even one thing I've learned in the fantasy community really quick is that the community usually knows what they're talking about because everybody was on the hype trip for Lamar Jackson. Then it was Josh Allen. Then it's Jalen Hurts. Yep. All three of those guys have broken out. They've done okay. They know what they're doing. Yep. So do these dra- uh, people who are making the draft boards for these uh, NFL teams. They make Mike Mayock tries to outsmart them. I think we all yeah. think, Reese, that we all have this inherent part that we think we're smarter than everyone else. And, you know, take the – let's trade Amari Cooper away for a first-round pick and then use a first-round pick on Henry Ruggs. Yeah, I mean, like other than salary, it doesn't really. Sorry, Marcus, I cut you off there, but no, that's fine. Uh, Yeah, even us fantasy or dynasty owners back in 2013 were so excited about Cordero Patterson, starting to prove that we're right. Like, how long? How many years did we say Cordero Patterson's a running back? Let's finally use him that way. And now he scored 23 PPR points. I'm kind of just kidding about Patterson, but I, I do agree with you, Reese. I think. Dynasty owners, fantasy football players are some of the smartest football fans out there because they watch these guys in college. They see how the skills would translate to the NFL. And they do, I mean, their hit rate for the most part is pretty good. I would say at the very least, it's on par with what the NFL does. So uh, I think that it's a very wise uh, thing you've noticed there. Yeah, especially with positional uh, value. I think that's mm-hmm. one of the things that Mayox missed on. But that's just me. No, I mean, that's absolutely true. In 2019, they took a running back and a box safety in the first round. Like, those are two no-nos that you just don't do in the NFL. Uh, and they did it. So, uh, I, that, I, that is one thing where I think Mayock and Gruen are a little bit old school. I wish they would kind of, you know, talk to some analytics people, talk to some better roster builders to find out how to, to best draft for a team. So, speaking of- Transitioning to your other team, the Cowboys, how do you envision the Pollard Z dynamic to work out? You mentioned them having a hot hand, but I, I don't know what gives you the impression that I'm a cowboy guy. Is it the three cowboy jerseys directly behind me in this video? <laughs> <laughs> Something. Something. Uh I think this is gonna be a committee. Now, I don't think it's gonna be as 50-50 split as we saw in week two. I just think that happened to be a game plan where Tony Pollard was running well. I think they thought they could expose their linebackers. I think it's going to be very matchup dependent. For example, I think this week three game against the Eagles is going to be a Ezekiel Elliott heavy game plan because Eagles have a good pass rush. 
The Cowboys are still a little bit worried about their right tackle, so I think you're going to see a lot of Zeke, especially on passing downs. But the days of Ezekiel Elliott getting 25 touches in Pollard 3, they're over. And because how could they not be over when Tony Pollard's running this well, right? Like you can't keep that guy off the field when he creates a big play like every other run. Uh, but I think a 60-40 split feels very, very likely from now on. Uh, what do you see them doing with the passing game? Do you think it's just going to be whoever's on the field or they purposely make switches? I mean, the one thing that Kellen Moore, the Cowboys offensive coordinator, has been very clear about is they're going to be a week-to-week game plan team. They're not this Jason Garrett of old team where, hey, we do what we do and it's up to, to the other team to stop us. Like, after the game against the, the, the Chargers, he said, our game plan is to aggressively take what the defense gives us. And I really like that, right? So if teams are doubling Amari Cooper, why throw him? You've got a really good receiver on the other side in CeeDee Lamb. If the teams are playing cover two and daring you to run the ball or to throw it to the tight ends, I don't think they have any problem doing that at all. So I think it's going to be a very balanced passing attack with the targets spread out all over the place. And I just think that makes the most sense from the Cowboys and from a team-building perspective. Yes. The I wanted to get your take. I saw he didn't give her many targets, but who looked good for me in that game was Cedric Wilson. The -hmm. play he made on his, I'd say, bigger catch, I thought he looked real. And he's looked good over the the past years in small doses. I mean, he looks to me to be the heir apparent to Gallup, but that's just me. But I went out and get your take on Cedric Wilson and also the debate. I don't think it's a debate, but I'll pitch it to you like it's one. Jarwin or Schultz? Hmm. So, first of all, let's touch on Cedric Wilson. Uh, I do think he's the heir apparent, but I would also be a little bit cautious with that because his contract is also up in this offseason. The Cowboys don't have a lot of cap space this, you know, in 2022. So, if Wilson performs well over the next four or five weeks, it's not unreasonable to think that a team might go out there and give him $6 million a year. Or maybe he even gets the Nelson Aguilar deal that we saw the Patriots give. If that's the case, the Dallas won't be keeping Cedric Wilson. But over the next four or five weeks, I think you could absolutely slot him in in your lineup as a what the heck flex to steal that from our guy Cecil Lamy and Sigmund Bloom. Yeah. Uh, I, I think he's a, a really nice player. Now, the tight end thing is a little interesting. Jarwin is pretty clearly the big play guy, but I think Schultz is the more reliable player. Like he had just an incredible grab uh, this week against the Chargers. I think Dak trusts him. I think he trusts him to get open. He's the better blocker. He's the guy that I would bet long-term having a more productive fantasy career than Blake Jarwin. Especially after Jarwin. We mentioned Zeke. And after week one, if Jarwin gets that block, we're not talking about Zeke. Yeah. You know? yep. and, well, and that's uh, the thing is they just they trust Schultz a lot more in all those situations. So when it's, you know, they're in 11 personnel at the five-yard line, it's going to be Schultz and not Jarwin. And that matters when it comes to red zone opportunities, touchdowns, all that kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. Hmm. So what, how do you see the Raiders backfield move, uh, moving forward? Does Jacobs just take a lot more prominent role? Does Drake take a back seat to Barber? What are your thoughts? Yeah, so Jeff and I were talking about this the other day. I, I, don't, think, <laughs> I don't think Jacobs is going to miss a ton of time, but I don't think he's going to play this week. I think he's just really beat up. There's no one injury that's really causing him to miss time like it's not a knee injury or a foot injury 
his body is just beat up and he got beat up hard in that Ravens game. So I do think after this week, he'll be back. He's just their best running back. And I think the Raiders want to find ways to get him on the field and get him touches. He's really, really good in, in the red zone. I, I think in any game where it's close and it's within, let's say 10 points, Jacobs is going to be on the field outside of a couple of passing situations. Jacobs is going to get, I would say 75% of the workload in this backfield. And the conversation he's talking about is after Jacobs, you know, is I was like, he's missing week three. He's missing week three. Just because, well, the only reason is we see patterns. You know, those yeah. of us that are old and we've seen this happen before, we know what's coming. You know I mean? Like it wasn't. And so all I was telling fancy people is Jacob's not playing in week three. Now I probably was too strong on it. Cause I didn't want to. I think you're right though. I think you're going to be right. But I didn't want to be a hot take guy. You know, I don't mind being the smart aleck guy. I don't, I just don't want to be the hot take guy. There's plenty of those guys. I, I think you're right. I don't think he's going to play week th- three, but I think, I think we're both right in this situation. Yeah. I just think it's not a long-term injury that to be right. concerned about where it's going to linger, but he, he might miss a week or two. And I think, I think John Gruden and the coaching staff has a long-term view in mind here. Like, yes, it's important to win early season games, but we want Josh Jacobs healthy for when we make the playoffs. And that's the way they're thinking. Like they, they, they believe they're going to make the playoffs and they're going to make a run. They want to make sure he's ready to go by January. Yep. And I'm, I'm all for that. I just see certain things and I'm like, fancy yep. guys, you know, let's start making adjustments now. Yep. Does Josh Jacobs deserve a second contract? Man, already with the tough questions here. So we're what? Year three of Josh Jacobs? I mean, you're, you're probably asking the wrong guy here because I don't think any running back deserves a second contract. So I would say no, just based on durability. Um, and he's taking a lot of punishment, so probably not. But how can you justify paying Kenyon Drake and not Josh Jacobs? That's that's the part that I don't really understand. That's why it's a good question. <laughs> that's why I try to get out of it. <laughs> you can tag him in year five because he's a first-round pick, right? Yes. You can well, he, he has the fifth year, he's got the fifth-year option, right? So that ties option, him to 2023, right? Yep, and then you could tag him in the sixth year and let him walk from there. And because if you're paying them, you're probably paying them those dollars anyway. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. you can have them for those six years, and that's probably the length of his career. I just, man, any of these running backs after year five, and especially after year six, I don't want to pay these guys. Like, who's the last guy to get a second contract and get to year six and year seven and still be worth the money that the team's paying them? Because I can't think of an example off the top of my head. He's counting. Derrick Henry. So we're in year, what, six now, uh, Derrick Henry? I believe so. He was the same draft class as Zeke. Zeke. Yeah, I mean, listen, I'm never going to say a bad word about Derrick Henry. So you got me there, Reese. Good job. (laughs) He was was over here doing, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's a good one. Like I said, you're never going to get me to say a bad word about Derrick Henry. He he might be just the unicorn out there that just continues to get better uh, as he ages. Or he's one injury away. I mean, yeah. every NFL player is one injury away. We, we can't lose sight of that. And that's the thing with running backs. When you're taking 370 hits, actually more than that when you factor in you know, pass blocking stuff and receiving stuff, 370 hits is going to pile up over the years. So, yeah, I think that's what's so dangerous about that running back position. Especially with Henry's running style being a lot more 
uh, physical than, yep. you know, some of the other backs like Alvin Kamara. Yeah, or McCaffrey. Yeah, as well. As long as Derek Henry just doesn't get tackled, he should be fine. <laughs> no, the defenders want to. <laughs> and on your on the Cowboys, though, you know, them being strapped for cash in the in the you know their team building, it's going to be really interesting to see how they prioritize the next few years because of the Jalen Smith. It, you know, what did they oh, do with man. them? What did they do with Vanderash? I'm not trying to to bring up so. I'm just saying they have guys they have to pay, and they have these these guys that they want to get rid. You know that they're stuck with even Zeke, and it's just going to be interesting to watch this all play out. That's all I was getting at. I wasn't trying to sure exactly seat. sure it's exactly what you're trying to do. Bring up bring up uh, painful memories. So if we wanted uh, to, we did with Dalen Ramsey. Oh man, <laughs> man. You might as well just bring up the Cowboys passing on Randy Moss. It's just go ahead and do it all. Hey, you uh, know, Marcus, this is what I live with. He just sits there in the weeds. It's just needles and just twist that knife behind your back, right? If, if you're going to mention Moss, you have to remember his rookie season, Thanksgiving Day. Three for 163 and three. Is that the one you're referring to? Oh, man. I still I remember being at a relative's house watching that game because I had I drafted this guy on my fantasy team. You know, it was long before before dynasty sorry marcus no i just i just want to say that my turkey that day tasted a little saltier as the the tears were coming down my eyes as i was a nine-year-old at the kitchen table so ah yeah it's extremely fun i will say you know what the nfl does great and i mean this like macro wise is i don't care which teams are up which teams are down you could change the jerseys the teams the coaches the players we always have something to talk about because they do such a great job. Mm. The NFL, you look at the NBA, you look at the other sports, and I charter this back to uh, Pete Rozelle back in the old days, and he really focused on the, the fans' experience, mm-hmm. you know, of how it's the game. And, you know, we can debate the taunting. We can debate all this other stuff, and I don't care. I just meant we got to give kudos to Goodell and – the NFL players as well for putting out a great product year in, year out. Yeah. I mean, both of my jobs locked on Cowboys, the podcast and the Raiders player. It, the whole idea is we're covering the news 24, seven, 365. Like we we're writing seven or eight posts on the Raiders wire every single day. And that's through the summer when there's nothing yeah. going on uh, about the NFL, about the Raiders, the news, uh, the NFL has done a great job of making this a year-long league. I don't think any other league is like that at all. I think the NBA is probably the closest. They're getting there, but nothing compares to the NFL. Besides the Ben Simmons stuff, what's been out since August 29th? Nothing. I've seen uh, a couple of LeBron workout videos, and that's just about it, right? Yeah. Yeah, but you also have to think, here's the stat that gets me on the NFL versus the NBA, Marcus. The NFL draft had way more fans watching it than the NBA playoffs. Like if that doesn't speak volumes, you know what I'm saying? Cause the draft was on NFL network. It wasn't even on like great networks compared to the, the NBA anyway. Yeah. It's not on ABC or whatever it is. Right. Like, no. and even on Christmas, you know, when they went up head to head. Oh gosh. Yeah. Football's King. And it's always going to be King, right? There's just something about the games, every game being so meaningful. Uh, the people's fandom is just so tied into this league that that's why you get people going crazy about the drafts and we can still 
bring up our draft memories from 1998 that still haunt us to this day. So it's quite a sport that we're covering here. It's awesome. So I believe this is Pollard's third year, right? Yes. Where did he yep. go after year four? Does he stay with the Cowboys or does some team like the Seahawks sign him? So there's no way that the Cowboys can afford to pay two running backs, right? Because they'll still be paying Ezekiel Elliott uh, by the time Tony Pollard's contract is up. So, yeah, I think I think he's probably going to leave in free agency. Uh, now, we're projecting a couple years out, but I would think any team that plays like in a dome or on a fast field would want somebody like Pollard, somebody where they can you know, just utilize him in the passing game, utilize him in the wide zone. I think the Saints make sense. Like if they move on from Alvin Kamara in a couple of years, the Vikings make sense. You know, another dome team. Um, I, I'm more curious to see, like, as we get into Pollard's last year, like in 2022, the Cowboys know they're not going to be able to re-sign him. Do they try to trade him during the season to try to pick up some value? Or do they just kind of ride it out and let him hit free agency? I think that's going to be an interesting subplot that we'll have to follow next year. Do you want to know what I would do? Not knowing their cap is detailed as everyone else. I tried to lock him up this year, give him a little bit of a raise, backload the contract to after Zeke leaves and lock him up for a four-year deal, backloaded the last two after Zeke, you're out from under Zeke. Yeah, that's exactly what we need to do with pay more running backs here, Jeff. I, I see what you're trying to do. Just load us up on cap. But I, I actually agree with you. I, I, agree I mean, with like four or five million a year. I don't mean that six <laughs> I just mean a four not or five. Naeem, not Naeem Hines money. Yeah, not Naeem Hines. I just mean like. that. I, I think you're right though. Like, however, the time to probably do that was this offseason, yeah. right? Like before you get into the year. But at the same time, maybe Pollard doesn't want to sign a deal. Like maybe he's going to go to free agency and be like, look, I don't have the workload that Ezekiel Elliott has. I didn't get a ton of work in college. I didn't get a ton of work in the NFL. I'm very productive. I'm efficient. Pay me like a top 10 running back, some team. And inevitably, there'll be a team out there that does it. Like, we saw Jarek McKinnon get a huge deal from the 49ers. I don't know about you guys, but I think Pollard's a better player than Jarek McKinnon. If he just waits the next year and a half, I think he can get a pretty sizable deal. Pollard's a lot better than Naheem Hines, who, I agree. I who agree. got, what, six mil a year. And all I meant, though, is if Pollard, if the Cowboys offered him that, you know, now, and they back. I just don't think he would take it. I honestly don't know if he would take it. I I, I think you're right. That would be the smart move by Dallas to lock him up now and make sure that you have an explosive guy in the backfield. I just wonder if Pollard knows he can get more on the open market. Maybe he just wants to – maybe he wants his own team where he can be the lead guy. I think we we can't rule that out either. I'm I'm not disagreeing with anything you're saying. I'm just saying that even if you give him a two-year extension now – that you give him more money. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like what the Packers did with Jordy Nelson. Yes. If they locked him up way early, gave him money because he wasn't making very much, that the the amount more he's making, you know, this year and next offsets what the discount he's given in the next two years. A little bit like the Raheem Mostart deal that the 49ers did. Was it last year? Somewhat similar to that? Yeah. Two destination spots for Tony Pollard that I was thinking about. Arizona. Oh, would, great. Wouldn't that be yeah. great? Or, or the Chiefs, just because that's going to be CEH's third year, uh, for, going into his fourth year. And if he keeps on showing like he did these past 18 games, 19 games, is he really going to be worth that much 
is he and Pollard one's gonna be a lot more valuable than the other. It's really funny that you bring up CEH and Tony Pollard because literally today I got offered CEH for Tony Pollard in a dynasty league and I haven't responded yet. I what do you do? I, I that's kind of, that's kind of my thing is like CEH has proved not to be durable. He's not all that efficient. He's not getting the targets that we were kind of promised coming out of the draft. So what's the upside here? I I, I just I don't know. He is the most interesting player in dynasty football to me right now. All right, I have one for you. He or Melvin Gordon? Do you want CEH or Gordon? Oh, I would take CEH because you do think eventually the Broncos are going to go to Javante Williams. It's just when Gordon's probably going to be more valuable this year, but I I would rather have CEH. I would I think. Yeah, I just getting eight touches a game, you know, and suboptimal situations and unable to make a guy miss and. Unable to score. Yeah. But anyway. Man, what a fall for CEH. Last year, we had people on some prominent networks saying to draft him number one overall in your redraft leagues. It wasn't me. No, it wasn't you. I'm not going to mention who it was, but there's some people on big networks telling you to draft him number one. And now we're talking about should you trade him for a backup running back in Dallas. Just incredible. Or worse, Melvin Gordon, right? At twilight. Or worse, Melvin Gordon. There you go. Yes. (laughs) The smart aleck part of me says, well, CEH did produce more than Christian McCaffrey did. Man, last year? Yeah, last year, number one. <laughs> I guess that was a moot point. <laughs> that, that's that's how I would be. If I had CEH right now, that's how I would be telling all my other league mates. Like, hey, listen, this guy's produced. Uh, you know, I'll produce Christian McCaffrey over the last two years. Since he's been Why not in take league. him? <laughs> since, since he's been in the league. Since he's been drafted, he's outproduced them, right? <laughs> I, I'm actually not sure now because does CEH have the 150 points that McCaffrey has over the past five games? Uh, it's probably pretty close. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, but could Pollard also go to a team like Seattle with Carson? Is this his fifth year now in the league? I think Carson's fifth or sixth. I think he's he's yeah. he's towards the twilight of his career too. So you, you, I think you're right by picking out some teams that have some very old school thinking, right? Some dinosaur coaches like Pete Carroll, who still believe running backs matter. Uh, I think that's a I think that's a really good one. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other guys that have Atlanta. some Atlanta. Arthur <laughs> Smith, Atlanta. That, oh, there you go. That's a that's actually a good fit, right? Like I I could see that one considering their talent level. Like they just don't have anybody there. You pair them with Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts. That one makes a lot of sense more so than Seattle, I think. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, but Atlanta, don't get me started. They should have traded Matt Ryan last offseason. You could debate whether they should have taken a quarterback at four, but I look at their personnel moves, and I think they're they're like that guy that stays in a relationship a month too long, you know, still thinking they that they have a chance. And this – we all knew they had no chance. We all knew they were going to pick in the top five next year. And so, you know – you know, Bloom loves Kyle Pitts, right? I mean, you see his eyes just glimmer. <laughs> but I'm just saying, would you rather have Fields there? Maybe. His Broncos probably would rather have Fields. Don't, I just meant, don't twist that knife. <laughs> but I just meant, though, you know, with the what would the 49ers have given for Matt Ryan? You know, would they have traded mm-hmm. up for Lance? I just, I don't know. And I still think Matt Ryan has a lot to give. The, the, this, the, the, you know, the things that keep you up late at night, Marcus, 
The one is to me is how does Arthur Smith leave the Titans and go to the Falcons and both offenses go down? It's, it's very interesting. I it just, this is a, an off season from the Falcons that I think they're really going to want back because they were really sitting in the driver's seat. Like they had so many options available to them. Like if they wanted to trade Matt Ryan, like if they just made it known to the world, Hey, we're going to move Matt Ryan. And it's not going to cost you two first round picks. Like it cost Matt Stafford. It's not even going to cost you a first round pick. Like it cost the Colts to go get Carson Wentz. I'm sure they could have moved him, right? There's teams out there. I mean, listen, if you're, if you're the Colts, would you rather have Matt Ryan or Carson Wentz? Because I think I would rather have Matt Ryan behind that offensive line, right? Even though the age, I mean, you were sitting in a spot where you had so many options and I'm sure they had trade offers. Like we saw multiple trades inside the top 10. We saw Miami trade back up to number six. I'm sure they could have came up all the way to number four and got Jamar Chase if they wanted to or get Kyle Pitts. Or you you know, you know, just slide back down, you take another weapon or you take Rashawn Slater or Penny Suell and improve your offensive line. Or you pick a quarterback, which is what they should have done. It's just... I love Kyle Pitts. I know our guy Sigmund is a huge fan, and so am I. I don't think there's anybody bigger fans of Kyle Pitts in the world than us, but you had a chance to grab a franchise quarterback or to make a franchise-altering trade, and you did neither. And I think that's going to be it's going to be something that Falcon fans uh, are, are really bummed about over the next couple of years. The other team that should have made a trade uh, just to trade or grab a quarterback and then move on from theirs was the Lions. They were in an ample opportunity to draft Justin Fields and flip Jared Goff for another first or two to a quarterback needy team, like before Fitzpatrick signed the football team or one of one of those types of teams. Do you think that's still in the plans or a possibility for the, for the Lions? Because honestly, what I've seen from Jared Goff in the first two games of the season is he's competent enough. Like there's yeah. certainly teams where he would be an upgrade. And if he has a nice, let's say a nice season, and he finishes, let's say, I don't know, he's the 19th best quarterback in the league. That contract gets a lot more manageable after this year. And maybe a team like Washington would be open to trading for him then when he costs a lot less. So I wouldn't rule out the Lions still doing that. I, I just think they needed to kind of do one hard reset year. And then maybe next year is about going in and finding the quarterback, whether it's Sam Howell at North Carolina, whether it's uh, Spencer Rattler at Oklahoma. I, I I think that's the plan there in Detroit. But I'd rather have Fields than Rattler. Well, of course. But you have Patrick Sertan, so you don't need to worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have Patrick Sertan, you're right. But you guys got Micah Parsons. I, I still would trade for Sertan. Listen, this is the positional value show, right? Yeah. Micah Parsons, I think, is going to be a really, really good player. He might even be the best linebacker in the league three years from now. But if Patrick Sertan is a top 10 corner, he's just inherently going to have more value. And I know the Cowboys didn't have the, the opportunity to pick Sertan, but if they did, I think that's the, that would have been the better pick. Yeah. The the interesting conversation I have for you guys, you all were mentioned uh, Goff and Fitz. Here's one for you. Who would you rather have, Goff or Wentz? Goff. Goff. Yeah, I think I would. One at least stays healthy. Yeah. All right. You roll down this. If if Goff is better than Wentz, that means Goff's a top 20 quarterback. Because there's usually 10 or 12 that languish at the bottom, right? Mm -hmm. I just think about all those teams that are in no man's land, you know, that we just think of, like, what are they doing? I mean, 
How about the Giants with Daniel Jones? How about, you know, you mentioned the, the football team. I got one. Yeah. How about the Steelers? Oh, man. I think they are the kind of team that would give up a pick for Matt Ryan. Oh, easy. I did see something that was crazy. They had the, the youngest offense minus quarterback this weekend. Mm-hmm. Did you yeah. see that? Did you see yeah. that? I mean, they're, they're starting uh, two rookies on the offensive line, a rookie tight end, a rookie running back, and the offense is awful. And it's so apparent that Ben Roethlisberger is cooked. And there's going to be games where this is going to come back to bite me, where he plays well and it's fine, it's whatever. But you know what's so obvious to me is watching that game on Sunday. Like, here's Derek Carr, who is making plays down the field. He's creating value for his offense. And Roethlisberger just can't do that anymore. Like, he's just, he's so detrimental to that team that I I don't know what the plan is. Like, I honestly wonder at some point in the year, if the Steelers won't look in the mirror and say, you know what, Mason Rudolph, he just has a better arm. He's more willing to throw the ball down the field. We know he's not our franchise quarterback, but does he give us a better chance at winning? Maybe. Uh, It's been in the last nine games of of Ben Roethlisberger's regular season, he's averaging 5.6 adjusted yards per attempt. That's the worst in the NFL by a mile. At some point, you've just got to admit that it's over and move on. And I'm curious to see when the Steelers do that. But the thing with Tomlin is Ben Roethlisberger has been there as long as Tom longer than Tomlin has. Mm-hmm. So you don't know if any if Roethlisberger has any sentimental value to Tomlin at all. And that's why they have not moved on from him. Now let's, let's be honest. The team count the Steelers among your Cowboys and a lot of other teams that should have pursued Gardner Minshew for as cheap as he was. Mm-hmm. I don't yeah, six round pick. That's it. Yeah, Absolutely. but I meant the Cowboys should have given a fifth. <laughs> I mean, if the difference is yeah. to get the deal done, Steelers should have offered a fourth. I mean, because Minshew Third could at least Minshew could be their starter for the future. He wasn't that bad. Uh, there's a lot of teams. I mean, how about Washington. Seattle? Geno yep. Smith is is his backup. They're not winning two games with Geno Smith. Yeah, I think there's a lot of teams out there that should have made that move, and I think especially for teams where the offense doesn't have to carry them. And yeah. if you just need a quarterback to be like a C minus, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. I don't get why the Steelers weren't active in that. We saw Dwayne Haskins in preseason. He looked like Dwayne Haskins, right? Like he, they, they, he looks bad. Mason Rudolph, it continues to be Mason Rudolph. I, I just don't get why he didn't go for more in a trade. Yeah. And he cheap contract. Cause he was, yeah. I mean, he was super cheap contract wise so even two, like Cowboys, two cheap years yeah but i meant though he's cheaper than than cooper rush yeah exactly he's cheaper than garrett gilbert and, and all those guys that they kept so yeah I, I agree but that's also a poor management job on the jaguars but yeah. urban meyer only trading him for a six when he has there's an argument to be made that he's a top 32 quarterback in this league oh i think that's, that's an easy, easy argument yes. don't you think marcus I think so, but I mean, this isn't even in the top 10, 10 of things that Urban has done wrong already in Jacksonville, so we shouldn't spend too much time on it. <laughs> they're, they're free agency. You have the most. Oh, my act, gosh. And then you're not going to use it? Yeah. It's The good thing is in a total rebuild, at least you took a running back that's um, – you already had a I, – I don't even want to get in Jacksonville. They're so frustrating. Urban hey. won't be there very long. He doesn't need to worry about that, so – 
No. Maybe they can hire someone like John Gruden. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Oh, man. What do you think Jack, Jacksonville things, uh, fans are thinking about that now? Like, man, we could have John Gruden. Uh, I mean, an actual good coach. But, oh, boy. Things are not looking great in, in, in Florida right now. Almost like how Broncos fans are very – looking back would be very unhappy to realize that we chose Vance Joseph over Kyle Shanahan as our head coach. Ouch. <laughs> That one doesn't eat at you at all, does it? No, not at all. <laughs> I'm not bitter. <laughs> Marcus have had quite a few questionable management decisions. Yeah. Listen, at least, at the very least, you didn't spend a decade of your life having to watch Jason Garrett. I promise you it can't get worse than that. <laughs> hey, when I see him with the Giants, when I see him on the Giants, I think he, he, uh, Jason Garrett and Daniel Jones is like a match made in heaven. No. <laughs> Only if you're a cow- even they're- if you're a Cowboys fan, they're perfect for each other, Dad. Oh man, oh man. I, I, I've got some an analogy that I can't use in the show, but yes, it's exactly what you guys are thinking about. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Daniel Jones, what do you think of like how he performed on uh, Thursday night football against a supposed top defense? And keep in mind that defense shut that. I won't, don't want to say shut down, but they stopped the Chargers pretty well on. Uh, the previous Sunday. And yeah, I thought Daniel. Game. Yeah, I thought Daniel Jones played the best game of his career. Now, I would put it into a little bit of context. The one thing that Jason Garrett has done over the course of his career as a coach is he's been really good at game planning for divisional opponents, and we've seen that with Daniel Jones in his career. Like over the last two years, his passer rating against the NFC East is like ninety-eight. Against non-NFC East opponents, it's like in the low seventies. So. It's not surprising that Daniel Jones does play well in these games. Uh, But it's pretty clear he's talented. They've got more weapons. I'm curious to see how they look in the next couple weeks because I I think I'm intrigued by Daniel Jones in year three because, listen, Reese, after two years of Josh Allen, we kind of thought he was a bust, right? Like we thought, you know, this this isn't going to work. He took this big athletic guy. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I'm not saying Daniel Jones is going to be Josh Allen, but he does have some similarities in their career arc so far. So just keep an eye on that. The one that gets me is why did they spend, why did they get Tony in the first? I mean, a team full of holes. And you know what I'm saying? Because they good, they spend big money on Galladay, who we could debate that either way. Shepard's decent. You know, they signed Cal Rudolph. Darius Slayton's a good player. You, you didn't need to go out and Darius, just use Darius Slayton. He's fine. Yeah. Exactly. Offensive line help, please. Offensive line. Go get an offensive lineman. Yes. You were sitting in a perfect position to take Rashawn Slater. Like you traded out of that spot. And I get it. You picked up an extra first round pick, but the entire goal, once you pick a quarterback is to maximize that window, right? Like this is a franchise left tackle who just fell to you at number 12. It's a gift. Giants take it, use him. He would have been great in that for that team. Uh, and yet now they're probably going to be searching for offensive linemen next year with that additional first-round pick they picked up. We're back to square one for, for the Giants. So a question for both of you. Do, do, do the Giants give Jones a second contract? You kind of have yes. to. Yes. Most teams, like you kind of have to, right? Yeah. But then you're stuck in that 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 quandary of just being okay, you know? And so, I mean, I could – I don't think Taylor Heineke's that well, much worse. 
We'll, we'll know after this year, one way or the other. Like if Daniel Jones doesn't get any better, they should they should make a move. But if if he at least see improvement, let's say he's the seventeenth best quarterback in the league, and he gets the Giants' offense from thirty first, which it was last year, to eighteenth. That's when at least you can justify saying, hey, he's making progress. Let's continue to see this out. But I, I don't know if I see that happening. But even on that draft that you were talking about, even when they traded back, they're still in a great position to draft Christian Darisaw, the left tackle or right tackle from Virginia Tech, who was a really good college player. I haven't seen his film in the pros, but there was still that gift waiting for you. Or trade back further and take like Elijah Moore, who was there in the second round. Like, oh, if you're going to do this trading back thing, there's not a difference, at least in my mind, between like Kadarius Tony and Elijah Moore and some of the Rondale Moore, who we're seeing have a big game. Like, you could have just taken that guy in the second round. Like, go go full out in you know loading up for next year's draft, just in case you de- do need to go get a quarterback. And I love Terrace Marshall and Rashad Bateman, who perfect, yes. You know, those two would have looked great in Giants. Big guys, you know. Anyway. Marcus yes. Mosher, you have more receiving yards in the in the NFL than Kadarius Tony. I've been working on my game, Reese. Haven't you noticed? <laughs> more more yards after the catch, too. Yeah, but yeah, I, mean, two yards. I know I don't look it, but I'm explosive after the catch. <laughs> <laughs> That's what fatherhood does to you. <laughs> It's true. You get some of that dad's strength and you're just unstoppable in the open field. Oh, yeah. Well, Marcus, thank you for joining us. We've enjoyed it. We hope you'll join us uh, here in, you know, another month or so. And uh, we always enjoy talking football with you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. Oh, it was awesome. Bye. Welcome to the Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics with Reese Tiefertiller. Tiller. Mm-hmm.